Thanks for joining us on the Crenshaw Christian Center New York podcast. And remember these words, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let's jump into the lesson. And the title of it is The Mind, the Arena of Faith. And it is based upon a book written by our very own apostle, Frederick Casey Price. Now, the last time we were together, we actually, so I'm going to have you turn to Luke's Gospel, the fourth chapter, and we're going to look at verse 9. And at this part in the study, we were talking about how the enemy was tempting Jesus. And he had him, you know, out in the wilderness. And if you, when you get to Luke 4, verse 9, just let me know that you're there by saying you have it. Okay, wonderful. So we looked at it at that point in time in three different translations. I'm not going to go through all of those, but I will read the Amplified Bible to you. And it says, Then he led Jesus to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle, the highest point of the temple, and said, mockingly to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. Now, we spent time before, and I'm sure this will bring you right back to where we were. The word if is what's so important in this verse of scripture that we read, because that is always going to be Satan's ploy. He used it on Jesus. Now, we already know we're not better than the Lord, correct? He uses it with us as well. He always wants you to doubt anything that you are about to encounter, he wants to plant seeds of doubt because that's the only way that he can get you through your mind. Okay, so if he had gotten Jesus to doubt, he would have had him exactly where he wanted him and always know that that's exactly what he wants us to do. So if our minds are not filled and concentrate, if it's not filled with the Word of God and concentrating on the Word of God, which is what we established before that the Word of God is what? It is our armor. It's a weapon, but it's our armor. It's what really is keeping us totally, completely protected in this three dimensional world in which we live. Okay? So since it is our armor, you don't ever want to go out in battle with nothing and just stand there. I mean, do you think if you were standing on the banks of any shore and you had thousands of people getting ready to shoot you with guns and you just stand there, you don't want to stand there with nothing. You want to have something to defend yourself. Wouldn't you agree? Well, in this three-dimensional world in which we're living, there's a lot going on. I'm sure you've probably figured that out by now. Nobody has to really tell you that. So the point is, you've got to have something to combat the enemy with. Because, by the way, he's not like Christians can sometimes be. We can sometimes get complacent. Things are going okay. So we're just like, oh, you know, okay, sarah, sarah, all is well. He is on his job 24 hours a day trying to see how he can wipe us out. And we have to recognize that. So therefore, it's very important that we know the word so that we are fully clothed in our armor. Turn with me. Okay, I read for, turn with me now to Proverbs. And we're going to look at the 23rd chapter, but I'm going to read to you verses, 
1 through 8. And I'm going to read it out of the Amplified. Here's why. We are all familiar with Proverbs 23, 7. And it says, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Or as a man thinketh, so is he. We know that. We all know about that wonderful little book, As a Man Thinketh by Alan. I told you guys about that last time. It's wonderful if you can get that little book. But... Again, people have a tendency sometimes to just quote that part of the scripture and not really understand what is being meant, what's meant by it. Where is it coming from? So therefore, that's why I'm going to share with you Proverbs 23, 1 through 8 out of the Amplified because it puts it in the proper perspective for us. So starting with verse 1 in the Amplified, it says, when you sit down to dine with a ruler, Consider carefully what is set before you, for you will not put a knife to your throat if you are a man of great appetite. Do not desire his delicacies, for it is deceptive food offered to you with questionable motives. Do not weary yourself with the overwhelming desire to gain wealth. Cease from your own understanding of it. When you set your eyes on wealth, it's suddenly gone. For wealth certainly takes itself, makes itself wings like an eagle that flies to the heavens. Do not eat the bread of a selfish man or desire his delicacies. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he in behavior, one who manipulates. He says to you, eat and drink, yet his heart is not with you, but it is begrudging the cost. The morsel which you have eaten, you will vomit up and you will waste your compliments. Now, I like that because it really gives us a better perception than just to say, as a man thinketh, so is he. Because you could go off in a lot of different directions with that. This makes it clear because it's like somebody's invited you out to dinner. So they're acting like they really care about you and they really like you and you sit there and you're like all cordial and you're acting like, oh, this is just wonderful and you're thanking them for letting, you know, for inviting you and, you know, you're just sitting there and it's just such a nice little la-la session. You think everything is right, but really this is the same person who really wants to knife you in the back because their heart wasn't in this meal. It was really a con. And this to me is showing you how, again, <laughs> the enemy comes at us really cunningly, very slyly, very slick. And I like these verses of scripture because it's kind of showing you a way in which he can do it. And we don't always, in our studying, if you just read a verse here and read a verse there, and you don't really take the time to read what's before it and what's after it, you don't always get the true story. So that's why I just read all of that to you. So the Bible definitely lets us know that we're going to end up being and doing what we've been thinking. So if our minds are not right and our actions, our actions obviously aren't going to be right if our minds are not right, and then we're not going to like what the outcome is. We're not going to like what we receive. And the last time we were together, I quoted something to you, which I won't necessarily do tonight. Um, it was a, a poem or prose, I guess you could say, entitled If You Think, and it's by an anonymous author. But it's something I learned at nine years old. I read it at nine years old, and it stuck with me, and I will never forget it. Because I learned then that how you think determines absolutely every single outcome in your life. 
So I really, really like that. So for those of you who weren't here, if you want to hear it at some time, I'll always tell you because it's something that is in my heart. Um, now, the other interesting thing to keep in mind is that the enemy does resort to quoting scripture because the point is he knows scripture. So, you know, we have to be careful. That's how come you have to try the spirit by the spirit. You can't just because somebody is quoting scripture to you think that it's just okay and that's wonderful. Oh, praise the Lord. No, 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 no. You still have to try the spirit by the spirit because the enemy can quote scripture. He did it to Jesus. Look at verses 10 and 11. Just you are at 9, just drop down to verses 10 and 11. And if we look at it in the Amplified, it says, for it is written. Now, I like the Amplified all the time for a lot of reasons, but I like how it says this. For it is written and forever remains written, which means there is no doubt in my mind that this word, it's, it's forever, okay? So it is written and forever remains written. He will command his angels concerning you to guard and protect you. And they will lift you up on their hands so that you do not strike your foot against a stone. And then the message says for the third test, the devil took him to Jerusalem and put him on the top of the temple. He said, if, there's that word if again, if you are God's son, jump. It's written, isn't it, that he has placed you in the care of angels to protect you. They will catch you. You won't be so much as stub your toe on a stone. In other words, again, he's mocking Jesus. He will do that to us too if we're not paying attention. So we're dealing, like I said before, with somebody who's very cunning, very sly. And if you don't know how to marshal your thoughts and control your mind and adjust your thinking, the enemy will take advantage of you just as he's taken advantage of so many other people. Now here's a very critical point. Satan doesn't know the spiritual significance of what the scriptures say. He doesn't get it. See, this is, this is where the chink is in his whole armor, if you will. He doesn't know what they mean. Just like if I were to stand up here and speak in Mandarin for the next five minutes. Most of you would have no idea what I'm talking about. Why? Because you may hear it, so it's like you heard it, but you don't know what it means. It's not significant to you. Well, for the enemy, it's a similar situation. He knows it. He can quote it back. However, he does not know what it means. And the simple reason we know that is because if he knew what it meant, he would read the end of the book and he would recognize that he lost and he'd stop working 24 hours. I mean, why is he working so hard if he knows that he already lost? That doesn't even make it, I mean, that, that's crazy. He's nuts, but he just doesn't know. That's the whole point. But for us, we should find constant solace in knowing that we win. As long as we don't quit, we win. It is just that simple. Of course, if we're knowing what the word says. If you have no idea, well, then you're just out on your own and that's not a good thing. So he's deceived. Really, I like to think of him as just being delusional because the point of the matter is he's believing whatever he's believing and he's just totally out of it. He just does not know what's going on. 
But Satan does have enough knowledge to use the scriptures against us. And since the average Christian, this is where most Christians mess up, they make the decision to ask Jesus to become their Lord and Savior, and then for some reason, they seem to think that's it. Like, I just asked Jesus to become the Lord of my life, so I'm just supposed to sit here, and he's just going to do everything for me. I don't have to do anything else. I don't have to learn anything. I just sit here, and everything is going to just be roses and sunshine, and we know that that's not going to be how it is. And if we took five seconds to open up the word, we would see that that's not how it is. He tells us that we are going to have temptations, trials, and tests, but we know also that it says, we can count it all joy. Why? Because we're going to win. We only go through the temptations, trials, and tests so that we can mature to get to a point where we want for absolutely nothing. But if you don't know that, if you don't open up the Bible to read it and you just stand on that decision alone, you, <laughs> that's when you have a challenge and you don't win. So the problem is the average Christian just doesn't know anything about the Bible, which we've already stated is his armor. Remember, it's also quoted in the scripture that my people are destroyed for lack of what? Knowledge. Exactly, that's what it says. So the enemy, of course, doesn't want you to have any knowledge because if you don't have any knowledge, you're then what? With no armor. That's exactly how he wants you. It makes it very easy. And this is the thing that I never quite understood. If you, I don't care if you're living in a condo, an apartment, a house, whatever, wherever you lay your head at night to sleep. If an intruder comes into your house and he has a weapon, whatever it is, knife, gun, whatever, are you going to just open up the door and say, oh, come in, have a seat, let me fix you a cup of coffee? Are you going to do that? No. Really? You wouldn't do that. You would do anything to protect yourself and to get, keep him at bay, correct? So then, if you would do that, why is it that you can be born again, spirit-filled, show up at every Bible study, show up at every service that we have, have a Bible that's filled of rainbow colors because you've read it, but yet and still, you don't in any way, shape, or form attack the enemy. You just let him keep attacking you. Does that make sense? Something for you to think about. Because I don't think we always think, we don't think. We, we get these lofty thoughts. You know, well, oh yes, I'm born again. You know, we just start thinking like we're angels or something already. We're not. You're living in this three-dimensional world. It's true you're not of it, but you are still in it. And you've got to understand that and conduct, conduct your life accordingly. So you need to know the word and you need to know, okay, that Satan is going to attack you with thoughts, ideas, and suggestions. And those thoughts, ideas, and suggestions are going to be involved in any and everything that you do. Whether you're at work and you have to make a decision on 
how you manage your time for that day, he's going to give you thoughts and ideas and suggestions when it comes to that. Whether it should I apply for a promotion or not, he's going to give you thoughts and ideas. He's going to make you wonder if you should even bother because that word if is going to be there. He's going to challenge you. He's going to make you think, no, you shouldn't do it. You know, you should just sit there and be quiet and collect your check and be happy. You know that they're downsizing the company. And that's the other thing. He always paints these pictures to really just pull us right into the con and make us believe that, you know what, I should just sit here and I shouldn't do a thing. I'm not going to go for that promotion. The point that I'm making to you is he'll do the same thing with if you want to move. Say you're in an apartment, but you really want to get to a different side of town. He'll make you think, well, why you want to go over to that side of town? You know they don't want you over there. You know, he'll, he'll start to make you believe it. So you just sit and you don't. It's almost like he will put you, if you allow him to, and if you're not constantly adjusting your thinking, you know how you can get stuck in quicksand? Okay, or better yet, cement. Because quicksand, well, quicksand's good because you're going to keep sinking and just go. That's what he would prefer. But even if you're not in quicksand, you can just be in cement and can't move. That's what he would love. And then he can just come and keep knocking you upside your head and you just stand there and can do nothing. Well, you know what? To me, if I could get nothing else across 2018, we need to get out the quicksand, get out of the cement, and move forward and get all that God has for us. He, has, he wants us to have everything, life abundantly. And I'm sorry, I am so tired of us not having that abundance. We should be able to do whatever it is that we want without any kind of thought because our Father already took care of it for us. And we are the ones that need to make the adjustment. And I just we just have to go ahead and do it. So turn with me. You're already there. So let's just go to verses 12 and 13. Because this is really, really important as to how <laughs> the response came. This is, this is the other thing that I like. So let's, I'm going to read it to you first out of the Amplified. Jesus replied to him a specific way. And we need to be able to see that. Okay? Because this is Luke 4, Luke, the Gospel of Luke, the fourth chapter, and we're going to look at verses 12 and 13. Okay? I'm going to share it with you out of the Amplified first. And it says, Jesus replied to him, him meaning the devil or the enemy, it is said in scripture, you shall not tempt the Lord your God, to prove himself to you. When the devil had finished every temptation, he temporarily, that is key, that word right there, temporarily, left him until a more opportune time. If we look at it in the expanded Bible, it says Jesus answered. But it also says in the scriptures, do not test the Lord your God. After the devil had tempted or tested Jesus in every way, or with all these temptations, he left him to wait until a better opportune time. And lastly, the message says, yes, Jesus said, and it's also written, don't you dare tempt the Lord your God. That completed the testing. The devil retreated, again, here's the word, temporarily, lying in wait for another opportunity. An opportune time means that Satan is always coming back. 
He's always going to counterattack. He's not ever going to leave us. But if we have our armor on, we can take him out. And that's the thing that we have to always, always remember. Now, the Bible is not a religious book. And I think some Christians even need to understand that, okay? Because sometimes, like I know for myself, coming from the Baptist church that I grew up in, they treated it like it was a religious book. Because first of all, it was about this big, it looked like an unabridged dictionary at the, at the, at least I know most people don't go to the library now and see the unabridged dictionary that's like yay wide. But that's how they made this Bible look. And it was white and it had all of this blue and gold leaf. I mean, it was the most gorgeous thing you ever could see. You could tell it wasn't used very much. Because it, I mean, it was just beautiful. Beautiful. And the, the pastor or whoever, you know, because sometimes they have somebody else come, like, whatever, read like two verses. Jesus wept would be one. You know, like something else. And then take it and put it underneath the pulpit and then they go into their show for the week. The point that I'm making is that is from the time you're a child, that looks like a religious book. That does not look like a book that you're going to take and do anything, you know, you dust it off. And then Christians, I'm telling you now, especially I think people I know down south that have their family Bible, and it might as well be just like that. And they put it on in the front room that they call it down south. Up here's the living room. They put it in the front room and dust it off because it's going to sit there and look just as beautiful and ornate as that one. Now you know I'm telling the truth, right? Okay, if you have a Bible that's like that, get another one. Okay, you can keep that one if you want for it to look nice and pretty, but I want you to have one that you can write in. I want you to have one that you can use like you would use a road map. Okay, like even this book, I have more than one. I have one that's really nice that was signed by the apostle, and then I have this one. You see how this looks? Because if I'm studying something, I want to be able to write in it and put things down that are going to help me understand it. Because if you can't do that, quite frankly, it's useless to you. That's why even when my children were in school, and <laughs> that was really something because college, the books get, well now they made it easier because you can rent books and stuff. But I always made sure they had their own so that they could actually write in them and do whatever they needed to to be able to glean the knowledge. So therefore, I don't consider the Bible this religious book. It is a roadmap for me because I am going to write in it and do whatever it is it takes for that word to come alive for me. You could also say for those people who like a GPS, it could be your GPS through life, okay, to really show you exactly what turn to make next and where it is that you need to go. It is definitely our guide because it guides us through every single part of our life from infancy on until we transition. I even thought about it in a different way because I oftentimes think of back to, because history is still part of who we are. So if you go back to when slaves were freed, they would be so proud to carry their freedom papers because it showed that they had been set free. Well, for me, the word of God is like my freedom papers. And I like that. And also, it is the documentation of our inheritance. So your whole entire inheritance is in it. So it is not some religious book. It is also our armor because that is where it contains the word. It's how we protect ourselves. 
the more we know, the better we are protected, okay? So now here are four things I want you to jot down if you're taking notes. The first thing is that thoughts always precede actions, okay? That's number one. Number two, knowledge and its proper use wins battles. I'll repeat that, knowledge and its proper use wins battles. Number three, I'll repeat them again, but for those who write a little bit faster, ignorance, excuse me, ignorance and victory are impossible roommates. Ignorance and victory are impossible roommates. And lastly, faith and unbelief cannot occupy the same space. Okay? So real quickly again, the first thing is thoughts always precede actions. Number two, knowledge and its proper use wins battles. Because if you have knowledge, but you don't use it properly, that's not going to help you. Number three, ignorance and victory are impossible roommates. And lastly, faith and unbelief cannot occupy the same space. Now, our victory is based on our knowledge of the Word of God and its application. Now, again, this is an area where I guarantee you that most Christians miss it because they may know the word, they may hear the word, they may buy CDs, they may listen to podcasts, they may go on Periscope and listen to a message over and over. All of those things are wonderful. Praise God. But if you do not apply the word that you have heard, there's not going to be a victory. You have got to apply it. That is paramount. Very, very paramount. It's like... You, and you've heard us talk about this in a different context, but imagine we see a man on the street who's homeless and he literally appears to be starving. Not just because he says he's hungry, but I mean, he looks like it. He has the, the physical body to show that. You know, his, his abdomen is extended. You may see some ribs and bones and, and he just looks like, oh my goodness, he's just famished. And he's telling you that he's hungry. He hasn't eaten for, he can't remember when. And you take him and you bring him into a restaurant and put a whole banquet of food in front of him so that he literally can eat whatever it is he wants. He can choose whatever it is. And he sits there and just looks at it and never opens his mouth and puts a morsel of food in it. Will he or will he not still be starving? Okay, so if as a Christian, you do all of those things I just said to you, which is like your banquet of food, 
but you do not apply that word to your everyday life, you're still going to be the same way you were as if you never read it, as if you never knew it. That's something we need to really think about. Now, Luke 4, which we spent a whole lot of time in, gave us an account of Jesus utilizing the armor. And many people think that Jesus was extraordinary and that because he was the son of God, that he didn't have to do the ordinary things that we as humans have to do. Meaning nobody, even if you, you could ask a Christian, you could ask a non-believer, if they were to tell you, or, or if you were to ask them, how do you think Jesus' life was as he walked upon the earth? They would give you all of these answers that dealt with his sovereignty. I don't think many people would tell you things about, well, he had to eat, you know, like we do. And boy, when he woke up, he had some of the worst breath in the world. And he really needed to make sure he used scope. Now, I'm saying this to prove a point because it almost sounds comical, but really in a way it does not. Because we don't think of him as a man that walked on the earth. We just think of him as the son of God. We think of him only as deity. We think of him only in his sovereignty. We don't think that he had to go to the bathroom and he needed some Lysol to spray when he finished. We would never think that. Oh, oh my gosh, how could we say that about, not serious. How could we say that about Jesus? But here is what's so important. If you can't get that, then you can't get the fact that you can do what he did when he walked the earth. That is critical because you look at him like he's the son of God and he's sovereign. And yes, he's my Lord and Savior, but I can't do any of the things that he did. Why do you think that he had a ministry here on earth? for three and a half years. Why did he do that? He gave up all of his prerogatives as the son of God to be here and walk on this earth. What in the world did he do that for? He did it to show us how to be in this world even though we're not of it. But if we don't get that, if we don't understand that, we're never, ever going to be able to do what he said we'd be able to do. Turn with me to John's Gospel, the 14th chapter. And we're going to look at verses 12 through 14. John 14, verses 12 through 14. It's important that you see this. And if you don't get anything else tonight, you've got to get this. I'm going to share it with you first out of the New International Version. Are you there? Okay. It says, Verily, very truly, rather, very truly I tell you, and this is Jesus speaking, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. The Amplified, which gives us all the qualifier, says, 
I assure you and most solemnly say to you, anyone who believes in me as savior, that's a qualifier, not just believes in me as some character that's, you know, in the book, the Bible, but as their savior, that's the qualifier, will also do the things that I do. And he will do even greater things than these in extent and outreach. That's key, okay? Because I am going to the Father. So he needs us to do it because he is in the throne room of God. But we are here. He resides in us, but he needs us to get moving to do greater than what he did. And I will ask, I will do whatever you ask in my name as my representative because that's what we are. We are his representative. This I will do so that the Father may be glorified and celebrated in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name as my representative, that's key because if you are his representative, you know that you're only going to ask things in his name that do what? Line up with the word. You're not going to go ask him for some foolishness, okay? And he says, I will do it. All of that, but see, that's why I like the Amplified. It's filled with the qualifiers. You can't misunderstand it. The Living Bible puts it a little bit different. It says this, in solemn truth, I tell you, anyone believing in me shall do the same miracles I have done and even greater ones because I am going to be with the Father. You can ask him for anything, meaning you can ask God for anything, using my name and I will do it. For this will bring praise to the Father because of what I, the Son, will do for you. Yes, ask anything using my name, and I will do it. <sighs> See, to me, I, I, I love that. So here's the thing. When Jesus walked the earth, he was just a man like you and I. He did not walk as the son of God with the sovereignty and the prerogatives he walked at. That's why do you think they call him the son of man? He walked that way. And here's the other thing. Another way for us to think about how was he as a human? Do you realize Jesus got tired? Okay, he took naps. I mean, I was like, that is really something. It's good when you're ministering to children because you can kind of tell them, see, Jesus took naps. <laughs> Turn with me to Luke's gospel. I should have known that when my kids were small. Maybe I could have told them that it would have worked. <laughs> I never thought about giving them a nap. But anyway, Luke's gospel, the eighth chapter, we're going to look at verses 22 through 25. First, I'm going to share it out of the Amplified, and it says, Now on one of those days, Jesus and his disciples got into a boat, and he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side of the lake, which happened to be the Sea of Galilee. So they set out, but as they were sailing, he fell asleep. And a fierce gale of wind swept down, as if through a wind tunnel, on the lake. And they began to be swamped and were in great danger. They came to Jesus and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're about to die. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging, violent waves, and they ceased. And it became calm a perfect peacefulness. And he said to them, where is your faith, your confidence in me? Because that's what it really boils down to. Our faith is our confidence in the one who is our Lord and Savior. 
Okay? They were afraid and astonished, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even the winds and the sea? And they obey him. Now the Living Bible says one day about that time, as he and his disciples were out in a boat, he suggested that they cross to the other side of the lake. On the way across, he lay down for a nap, <laughs> and while he was sleeping, the wind began to rise. A fierce storm developed that threatened to swamp them, and they were in real danger. They rushed over and woke him up, and it's the same thing. Master, master, we're sinking, they screamed. So he spoke to the storm, quiet down, he said, and the wind and waves subsided, and all was calm. Then he asked them, where is your faith? And they were filled with awe and fear of him and said to one another, who is this man that even the winds and waves obey him? Now, just as something else, which isn't in my notes, but it's something I want you to think about. Do you realize that you can do the same thing? He's already said we, we are to do greater works than he did. So we should do that. You know, when you see storms coming, don't, I mean, because if you turn on the news, oh my goodness, they would make us believe that, you know, I don't, all kinds of negative things. You know, I remember when we had uh, Hurricane Sandy, and that did affect a lot of our particular area. And it really affected a lot of people also on Long Island. I mean, we weren't <laughs> where it wasn't going to affect Long Island. So I remember standing out on my back deck, because I actually learned this years ago from Kenneth Copeland. And when the storm first started, I stood out there and I said, you know what, Lord, you are allowing this for whatever reason I may not know, but I do know that all that we have belongs to you. So therefore, I am asking that nothing come to any of our property, that the storm just blows right on over and that the angels are on patrol. And I thank you and covenant in advance to give you all the honor and glory in Jesus' name. Well, all we had for Hurricane Sandy were a few little branches that we had to pick up off the ground. People two blocks one way or two blocks in the other way didn't have electricity for over two weeks. They had all kinds of issues. My TV never even went out. It blinked once, and when it blinked, I was like, wait a minute, you know what I said. <laughs> And it went right back on. But the point that I'm making to you is, if you don't believe that, it sounds nice. You hear me saying it. And it's like, oh, praise the Lord. That sounds nice. And you go home from Bible study and you forget about it and go on to the next thing. You need to understand when we say at the end of every single time that I teach, wherever you are, God is. He is in you. So when you speak... Everything has to obey what comes out of your mouth. Okay, so that was for somebody. Whoever it was for. Praise God. Now what I want you to do is turn with me to John, the Gospel of John. And we're going to look at the fourth chapter, John 4, verse 6. Because this is just another little quick example of showing you how Jesus did get weary while he was in this earth realm. And that's something we need to understand too. We have to figure out a way to rest. Now I'm speaking to me. If I'm not speaking to anybody else, I am speaking to me, I own it, okay? We have to learn to rest because we are not better than the Lord. So if we look at John's gospel, the fourth chapter, the sixth verse in the Amplified says, 
and Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, sat down by the well. It was then about the sixth hour, or noontime. The Living Bible says, and around noon as he approached the village of Sychar, he came to Jacob's well, located on the parcel of ground Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jesus was tired from the long walk in the hot sun and sat warily beside the well. And the message says to get there, he had to pass through Samaria. He came to Sychar, a Samaritan village that bordered the field Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was still there. Jesus, worn out by the trip, sat down at the well. And of course, it was noon. So this is letting us know that Jesus himself took time to rest. We as his disciples need to follow his example and do what? Do the same exact thing. Now, here's the other thing, and this is another way of proving for those of you who are still not buying the fact that Jesus was acting as a man when he was on earth and not acting as a sovereign God. Uh, turn with me to Psalm 121. Uh, and we're going to look at verse 4. This is really quick. Psalm 121, verse 4. The Amplified Classic says, Behold, he who keeps Israel. And now he in this verse, they're talking about the Most High God. Okay? Psalm 121, verse 4. He, behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. In the Living Bible, it says he will never let me stumble, slip, or fall, for he is always watching, never sleeping. And the message says, he, meaning God, won't let you stumble. Your guardian God won't fall asleep, not on your life. Israel's garden, guardian rather, will never doze or sleep. So in other words, he doesn't even fall off dozing. He never sleeps. So here's the key. If this is telling us he never will sleep, and we just read how Jesus slept, he got tired, he took naps, obviously he was not acting as the Son of God. He was acting as a man. Okay? So, that's why I said if you get nothing else, please get that. Like I said before, he ministered for three and a half years to show us what it is that we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to use our armor. Because the bottom line is God wants us to win. I mean, think about this. He didn't redeem us. Just think about that for a minute. He did not redeem us so that we could simply die and go to heaven. I mean, what was the point of that? You have to understand, what does it mean to redeem? It means to recover by payment or other satisfaction. That's what it means to redeem. We have been redeemed by the very blood of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And God did not send his only begotten son for us to be redeemed, to live some broke down, disgusted, barely making it, hope we can make ends meet life. That is not what he sent him to do. The other thing, and sometimes we don't think about things. When a person goes to medical school, they want to become a doctor. Do they let them complete school? And then like, say for instance, you have to, you know, 
you're visiting someone who's in the hospital. Okay, notice how I'm phrasing that. You're not there, you're visiting someone who's there. So you're visiting someone who's in the hospital because you're going to minister to them, okay? And they need to have surgery. Do you think that they're going to take somebody who just got out of Columbia, never served as an intern, never served as a resident, and they're going to say, oh, come right over here and go ahead and, and, and perform surgery on this person? No. When a person completes medical school, they have to become an intern. And then even after internship, they have to become a resident. They do this. Why? Because they want them to, because it's not just about their academia. They want them to be able to see how to perform the surgery, how to treat the patient. Well, all they're doing is really copying what Jesus did for us because he was here to show us exactly what we need to do to be victorious in this three-dimensional world. Now, obviously, because of sin, because Satan is the God of this world, Living the kind of life that we all want to live because God really want, wants us, he redeemed us because he wants us to have the life he wanted from Adam from the very beginning. It's a little bit more challenging for us because of the sin that's been unleashed in this world. It's a little bit more challenging. It's not impossible. It's just a little bit more challenging to have that. However, we can still live on the high edge of whatever there is in this earth realm today. And quite frankly, we should not settle for anything less than that. We don't, we won't however though, you can't possibly live on that high edge. You can't possibly have all that God wants you to have if you don't know how to utilize your armor. It's not gonna happen because we do have that adversary who is always coming against our minds. Every single thing starts in our mind. Turn back to Luke's Gospel, the fourth chapter, and we're going to look at the second verse. Luke 4, and we're going to look at verse 2. The Amplified is where I'm going to start. The Amplified Classic, because again, it's got the qualifiers. And it says, For during 40 days in the wilderness or desert, where he, meaning Jesus, was tempted, tried, tested exceedingly by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. And when they were completed, he was hungry. Because remember, he was acting how? As man, not as Jesus, the sovereign son of God. So yeah, after 40 days and 40 nights, you better believe he was hungry, okay? The Living Bible says, then Jesus full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan River, being urged by the Spirit out into the barren wastelands of Judea, where Satan tempted him for 40 days. He ate nothing all that time and was very hungry. And then the message says, now Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wild. For 40 wilderness days and nights, he was tested by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and when the time was up, he was very hungry. What is the purpose? This is a very good question. What do you think is the purpose of temptation? It's trying to kind of like to get you off track, to get you, you know, because let's face it, if the enemy can get you to do what he wants you to do, 
and he's got you right where he wants you. But here's the thing. You've got to be able to understand this. Why would someone tempt you or me? They're only doing it, obviously, to get us to do what they want. But here's the thing. They can't tempt us to do something that we can't already do. <sighs> Hold that thought, because this was a good one. This was really a good one. They can't tempt you to do something unless you buy into the con and they're able to get you to do it. But we're going to pick up on that next week. Our hope is that you received something that you could apply to your life and strengthen your faith. At Crenshaw Christian Center, New York, we believe that the Word of God is practical for everyday application. Feel free to stay in touch with us via social media, or you can give us a call at 212-749-9323. If you're in the New York area, you're welcome to join us at one of our services. Our Sunday morning service is at the New Yorker Hotel at 9.45 a.m. That's on 34th Street and 8th Avenue in New York City. Or join us for Bible study on Thursday evenings at our fellowship office, 470 7th Avenue on the 6th floor, right in Herald Square. Thanks again for listening. And remember, walk by faith, not by sight.